Chapter 10 of the General History of the Pirates, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Kilmer. The General History of the Pirates, Volume 1, by Charles Johnson. Chapter 10. Captain Anstis and his crew. Thomas Anstis shipped himself at Providence in the year 1718 aboard the Buck Sloop, and was one of six that conspired together to go off a pirating with the vessel. The rest were Howell Davis, Robert's predecessor, killed at the island of Princess, Dennis Topping, killed at the taking of the rich Portuguese ship on the coast of Brazil, Walter Kennedy hanged at execution dock, and two others, which I forbear to name, because I understand they are at this day employed in an honest vocation in the city. What followed concerning Antist's piracies has been included in the two preceding chapters. I shall only observe that the combination of these six men, above mentioned, was the beginning of that company that afterwards proved so formidable under Captain Roberts, for whom Anstis separated the 18th of April, 1721, in the good fortune brigantine, leaving his commodore to pursue his adventures upon the coast of Guinea, whilst he returned to the West Indies upon the like design. About the middle of June, these pirates met with one Captain Marston between Hispaniola and Jamaica, bound on a voyage to New York, from whom they took all the wearing apparel they could find, also his liquors and provisions, and five of his men, but did not touch his cargo. Two or three other vessels were also plundered by them. In this cruise, out of whom they stocked themselves with provisions and men. Among the rest, I think, was the Irwin, Captain Ross, from Cork in Ireland, but this I won't be positive of, because they denied it themselves. This ship had six hundred barrels of beef aboard, besides other provisions, and was taken off Martinico, where Colonel Doyle of Montserrat and his family were passengers. The colonel was very much abused and wounded for endeavoring to save a poor woman that was also a passenger from the insults of that brutish crew, and the pirates prevailing Twenty-one of them forced the poor creature successively, afterwards broke her back and flung her into the sea. I say, I will not be positive that it was Anstis' crew that acted this unheard-of violence and cruelty, though the circumstances of the place, the time, the force of the vessel, and the number of men do all concur, and I can place the villainy nowhere else, but that such a fact was done there is too much evidence for it to be doubted of. When they thought fit to put an end to this cruise, they went into one of the islands to clean, which they effected without any disturbances, and came out again, and stretching away toward Bermudas, met with a stout ship called the Morning Star, bound from Guinea to Carolina. They made a prize of her, and kept her for their own use. In a day or two, a ship from Barbados bound to New York fell into their hands, and taking out her guns and tackle, 
mounted the Morning Star with thirty-two pieces of cannon, manned her with a hundred men, and appointed one John Fenn captain. For the brigantine, being of less force, the Morning Star would have fallen to Anstis as elder officer, yet he was so in love with his own vessel, she being an excellent sailor, that he made it his choice to stay in her, and let Fenn, who was before his gunner, command the great ship. Now they had two good ships well manned, it may be supposed they were in a condition to undertake something bold. But their government was disturbed by malcontents, and a kingdom divided within itself cannot stand. They had such a number of new men amongst them, that seemed not so violently inclined for the game, that whatever the captain proposed, it was certainly carried against him, so that they came to no fixed resolution for the undertaking any enterprise. Therefore, there was nothing to be done but break up the company, which seemed to be the inclination of the majority. But the manner of doing so concerned their common safety, to which purpose various means were proposed. At length it was concluded to send home a petition to His Majesty, there being no act of indemnity in force, for a pardon, and wait the issue. At the same time, one Jones, boatswain of the good fortune, proposed a place of safe retreat, it being an uninhabited island near Cuba, which he had been used to in the late war, when he went to privateering against the Spaniards. This being approved of, it was unanimously resolved on, and the underwritten petition drawn up and signed by the whole company in the manner of what they call a round robin, that is, the names were writ in a circle, to avoid all appearance of preeminence, and least any person should be marked out by the government as a principal rogue among them. To His Most Sacred Majesty George, by the grace of God, of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, King, Defender of the Faith, etc. The humble petition of the company now belonging to the ship Morning Star and Brigantine Good Fortune, lying under the ignominious name and denomination of pirates, humbly showeth that we, your majesty's most loyal subjects, have at sundry times been taken by Bartholomew Roberts, the then captain of the above said vessels and company, together with another ship, in which we left him, and have been forced by him and his wicked accomplices to enter into and serve in the said company as pirates, much contrary to our wills and inclinations. And we, your loyal subjects, utterly abhorring and detesting that impious way of living, did, with unanimous consent and contrary to the knowledge of the said Roberts or his accomplices, on or about the 18th day of April, 1721, leave and ran away with the aforesaid ship, Morning Star, and brigantine good fortune, with no other intent and meaning than the hopes of obtaining your majesty's most gracious pardon, and that we, your majesty's most loyal subjects, may with more safety return to our native country and serve the nation unto which we belong in our respective capacities, without fear of being prosecuted by the injured, whose estates have suffered by the said Roberts and his accomplices during our forcible detainment by the said company. We most humbly implore your majesty's most royal assent to this our humble petition. 
and your petitioners shall ever pray. The petition was sent home by a merchant ship bound to England from Jamaica, who promised to speak with the petitioners in their return about twenty leagues to the windward of that island, and let them know what success their petition met with. When this was done, the pirates retires to the island before proposed with the ship and brigantine. The island, which I have no name for, lies off the southwest end of Cuba, uninhabited and little frequented. On the east end is a lagoon, so narrow that a ship can but just go in, though there is some fifteen to twenty-two foot water, for almost a league up. On both sides of the lagoon grows red mangrove trees, very thick, that the entrance of it, as well as the vessels lying there, is hardly to be seen. In the middle of the island are here and there a small thick wood of tall pines and other trees scattered about in different places. Here they stayed about nine months, but not having provisions for above two, they were forced to take what the island offered, which was fish of several sorts, particularly turtle, which latter was the chiefest food they lived on, and was found in great plenty on the coasts of the island. Whether there might be any wild hogs, beef, or other cattle, common to several islands of the West Indies, or that the pirates were too idle to hunt them, or whether they preferred other provisions to that sort of diet, I know not. But I was informed by them that for the whole time they eat not a bit of any kind of flesh meat nor bread. The latter was supplied by rice, of which they had a great quantity aboard. This was boiled and squeezed dry, and so eat with the turtle. There are three or four sorts of these creatures in the West Indies, the largest of which will weigh 150 or 200 pounds weight, or more. But those that were found upon this island were of the smallest kind, weighing 10 or 12 pounds each, with a fine natural wrought shell, and beautifully clouded. The meat sweet and tender, some part of it eating like chicken, and some like veal, etc., so that it was no extraordinary hardship for them to live upon this provision alone, since it affords varieties of meats to the taste of itself. The manner of catching this fish is very particular. You must understand that in the months of May, June, and July, they lay their eggs in order to hatch their young, and this three times in a season, which is always in the sand of the seashore, each laying eighty or ninety eggs at a time. The male accompanies the female, and come ashore in the night only, when they must be watched without making any noise, or having a light. As soon as they land, the men that watch for them, turn them on their backs, and haul them above high water mark, and leave them till next morning, where they are sure to find them, for they can't turn again, nor move from the place. It is to be observed that beside their lying time, they come ashore to feed, but then, what's very remarkable in these creatures, they always resort to a different place to breed, leaving their usual haunts for two or three months, and tis thought they eat nothing in all that season. They pass their time here in dancing and other diversions, agreeable to these sorts of folks, and among the rest they appointed a mock court of judicature to try one another for piracy. And he that was criminal one day was made judge another. 
I had an account given me of one of these merry trials, and as it appeared diverting, I shall give the readers a short account of it. The court and criminals being both appointed, and also counsel to plead, the judge got up in a tree, and had a dirty tarpaulin hung over his shoulders. This was done by way of robe, with a thrun cap on his head, and a large pair of spectacles upon his nose. Thus equipped, he settled himself in his place, and abundance of officers attending him below, with crows, handspikes, etc., instead of wands, tipstaves, and such like, the criminals were brought out, making a thousand four faces, and one who acted as attorney general opened the charge against them. Their speeches were very laconic, and their whole proceeding concise. We shall give it by way of dialogue. Attorney General As it please your lordship and your gentlemen of the jury, here is a fellow before you that is a sad dog, a sad, sad dog, and I humbly hope your lordships will order him to be hanged out of the way immediately. He has committed piracy upon the high seas, and we shall prove, and it please your lordship, that this fellow, this sad dog before you, has escaped a thousand storms. Nay, he has got safe ashore when the ship has been cast away, which was a certain sign that he was not born to be drowned. Yet, not having the fear of hanging before his eyes, he went on robbing and ravishing man, woman, and child, plundering the ship's cargoes fore and aft, burning and sinking ship, bark, and boat, as if the devil had been in him. But this is not all, my lord. He has committed worse villainies than all these, for we shall prove that he has been guilty of drinking small beer. And your lordships know that there never was a sober fellow but what was a rogue. My lord, I should have spoke much finer than I do now, but that, as your lordship knows, our rum is all out, and how should a man speak good law that has not drank a dram? However, I hope your lordship will order the fellow to be hanged. Judge, here come he, Sarah, you lousy, pitiful, ill-looked dog. What have you to say? Why should you not be tucked up immediately and set a sun-drying like a scarecrow? Are you guilty or not guilty? Prisoner, not guilty, and it please your worship. Judge, not guilty? Say so again, Sarah, and I'll have you hanged without any trial. Prisoner, and it please your worship's honor, my lord, I am as honest a poor fellow as ever went between stem and stern of a ship, and can hand, reef, steer, and clap two ends of a rope together, as well as he that ever crossed salt water. But I was taken by one George Bradley, the name of him who sat as judge, a notorious pirate, a sad rogue as ever was unhanged, and he forced me, and it please your honor. Judge, answer me, Sarah. How will you be tried? Prisoner, by G and my country. Judge, the devil you will. Why then, gentlemen of the jury, I think we have nothing to do but proceed to judgment. Attorney General, right, my lord, for if the fellow should be suffered to speak, he may clear himself, and that's an affront to the court. Prisoner, pray, my lord, I hope your lordships will consider. Judge, consider? How dare you talk of considering? 
Sarah, Sarah, I never considered in all my life. I'll make it treason to consider. Prisoner, but I hope your lordship will hear some reason. Judge, do you hear now how the scoundrel prates? What have we to do with reason? I'll have you know, rascal, we don't sit here to hear reason. We go according to law. Is our dinner ready? Attorney General, yes, my lord. Judge, then hear, you rascal at the bar. Hear me, sirrah, hear me. You must suffer for three reasons. First, because it is not fit I should sit here as judge and nobody be hanged. Secondly, you must be hanged because you have a damned hanging look. And thirdly, you must be hanged because I am hungry. For you know, sirrah, that tis a custom that whenever the judge's dinner is ready before the trial is over, the prisoner is to be hanged, of course. There's law for you, ye dog, so take him away, jailer. This is the trial, just as it was related to me. The design of my setting it down is only to show how these fellows can jest upon things, the fear and dread of which should make them tremble. The beginning of August, 1722, the pirates made ready the brigantine, and came out to sea, and beating up to windward, lay in the track for their correspondent in her voyage to Jamaica, and spoke with her, but finding nothing was done in England in their favor, as was expected, they returned to their consorts at the island with the ill news, and found themselves under a necessity, as they fancied, to continue the abominable course of life they had lately practiced. In order, thereto, they sailed with the ship and brigantine to the southward, and the next night, by intolerable neglect, they run the morning star upon the Grand Caymans and wrecked her. The brigantine, seeing the fate of her consort, hauled off in time, and so weathered the island. The next day Captain Anstis put in and found that all, or the greatest part of the crew, were safe ashore, whereupon she came to an anchor in order to fetch them off, and having brought Fenn the captain, Phillips the carpenter, and a few others aboard, two men-of-war came down upon them, viz. the Hector, an adventure, so that the brigantine had but just time to cut their cable and get to sea, with one of the men-of-war after her, keeping within gunshot for several hours. Anstis and his crew were now under the greatest consternation imaginable, finding the gale freshen and the man-of-war gaining ground upon them, so that in all probability they must have been prisoners in two hours more. But it pleased God to give them a little longer time. The wind dying away, the pirates got out their oars and rowed for their lives, and thereby got clear of their enemy. The Hector landed her men upon the island and took forty of the Morning Star's crew without any resistance made by them, but on the contrary, alleging that they were forced men and that they were glad of this opportunity to escape from the pirates. The rest hid themselves in the woods, and could not be found. George Bradley, the master, and three more, surrendered afterwards to a Bermuda's sloop, and were carried to that island. The brigantine, after her escape, sailed to a small island near the Bay of Honduras to clean and refit, and, in her way, thither, took a Rhode Island sloop, Captain Durfee, commander, and two or three other vessels, which they destroyed, 
but brought all hands aboard their own. While she was cleaning, a scheme was concerted between Captain Durfee, some other prisoners, and two or three of the pirates, for to seize some of the chiefs and carry off the brigantine. But the same being discovered before she was fit for sailing, their design was prevented. However, Captain Durfee and four or five more got ashore with some arms and ammunition, and when the pirate's canoe came in for water, he seized the boat with the men, upon which Anstis ordered another boat to be manned with thirty hands and sent ashore, which was accordingly done. But Captain Durfee and the company he had by that time got together gave them such a warm reception that they were contented to betake themselves to their vessel again. About the beginning of December 1722, Anstis left this place and returned to the islands, designing to accumulate all the power and strength he could, since there was no looking back. He took in the crews a good ship, commanded by Captain Smith, which he mounted with twenty-four guns, and Fenn, a one-handed man who commanded the Morning Star when she was lost, went aboard to command her. They cruised together, and took a vessel or two, and then went to the Bahama Islands, where they met with what they wanted, viz. a sloop loaded with provisions from Dublin, called the Antelope. It was now time to think of a place to fit up and clean their frigate lately taken, and put her in a condition to do business. Accordingly, they pitched upon the island of Tobago, where they arrived the beginning of April 1723, with the Antelope sloop and her cargo. They fell to work immediately, got the guns, stores, and everything else out upon the island, and put the ship upon the heel. And just then, as ill luck would have it, came in the Winchelsea, man of war, by way of visit, which put the marooners in such a surprise that they set fire to the ship and sloop, and fled ashore to the woods. Ansys, in the brigantine, escaped by having a light pair of heels, but it put his company into such a disorder that their government could never be set to rights again. For some of the newcomers, and those who had been tired with the trade, put an end to the reign by shooting Thomas Ansis in his hammock, and afterwards the quartermaster, and two or three others. The rest submitting, they put into irons and surrendered them up, and the vessel, at Caraco, a Dutch settlement, where they were tried and hanged, and those concerned in delivering up the vessel acquitted. But to return to Captain Fenn. He was taken straggling with his gunner and three more, a day or two after their misfortune, by the man-of-war's men, and carried to Antigua, where they were all executed, and Fenn hanged in chains. Those who remained stayed some time in the island, keeping up and down in the woods, with a hand to look out, at length Providence so ordered it that a small sloop came into the harbor, which they all got aboard of, except two or three negroes, and those they left behind. They did not think fit to pursue any further adventures, and therefore unanimously resolved to steer for England, which they accordingly did, and in October last came into Bristol Channel, sunk the sloop, and getting ashore in the boat, dispersed themselves to their abodes. End of chapter 10. Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas.